My Best Friend's Exorcism, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Last Exorcism, Amityville Exorcism, Teenage Exorcist. It seems that from the moment humans became conscious, evil beings have been trying to possess us. And we, in return, have been working hard to get them out of there. With more exorcism movies than I could possibly ever count, there is one that stands above the rest. Maybe the most iconic of them all, and often considered to be the best horror film of all time. That's right. Today, we feel the power of Christ compelling us to ask the question, The Exorcist, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Blake Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media that we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. And Seth, happy Halloween episode! Happy Halloween episode. Oh no, oh no, we're getting dark. I have no voice. I have no voice. Well, Seth, that might be a problem on a podcast. I know. I know. I'll do my best, but it's going to be low and resonate. Resonate. Resonating. Resonant? Resonant. Uh, Yeah. So forgive me, audience. Yeah, forgive us. Yeah, forgive Seth. Yeah. For shame on him. Uh, So yeah, we're doing The Exorcist today. This is technically our Halloween episode. This episode is going to be hitting... On Friday, the Friday before Halloween on Monday. Uh, so, yeah, Seth, you chose The Exorcist as our yeah. Halloween episode. Why? Yeah. Why? Uh, you know, I had seen it once as a child, but I had not, I had not watched it as an adult. And this is one of those movies that is, you know, perfect for the season. But also, I think it's one of those movies we need to do. You know, it is definitely a movie movie. I was but just to say, as we've 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 coined the term movie movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a movie movie, but it's a movie movie that you gotta do, I think. Uh if you're gonna do a movie podcast, this this has gotta be on the roster. Mm-hmm. So uh it's time. Yeah, and this is like the, I mean, Halloween is like I guess the perfect time to do this, other than if like I don't know, someone tries to like exercise Donald Trump or something. Then or, maybe this would be Kanye. more or Kanye. Kanye might be possessed. <laughs> yeah. God dang that guy! I can't believe that Adidas dropped him. Oh, I can. Oh, I can believe it. I mean, God. you got they got to do the math, right? Well, the well, and, the, well, the math is that they're going to be losing over two hundred and something million dollars this year. Now. Yeah, but they could lose even in the long run. Yeah, in, in the, the long, long run. run. Yeah, they're playing yeah. the long game. That's for sure. Uh, man, capitalism, right? Yeah, yeah. Usually, you think about. Do you think everybody's about the short term? But look at that. Look at Adidas playing the long game. I mean, I, I think it just depending on the cultural zeitgeist, they're they're like, oh, uh, this is a bad idea. Like, we can't have our name attached to anti-Semitism for the long term. You know, that's a. It looks better on them in the short term to knock that blight off of their yeah you know it's public like, image is sometimes more yeah. valuable yeah than actual money yeah absolutely your reputation your reputation is priceless mm-hmm. i think that's actually a bible verse there's something in the bible about that the bible is a is a capitalist novel uh no but there is it's like it's something i forget it might be a proverb or something like that and it's basically like your reputation is worth so much more than money. Like it's like, mm-hmm. and it can be destroyed. Like, 
Oh, like I was just say, is that when they're talking about like Mary Magdalene? Because Mary Magdalene <clears throat> had a really bad rep. No, that's like a that's something that you know is true, but I don't, that's not. It's a proverb, I think. It's either okay. in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Like it's like, hey, your reputation is is worth way more than gold. Proverbs is that that that's still Old Testament, right? Yeah. So Proverbs and Ecclesiast- Ecclesiastes are probably two of my favorite books of the Bible. Mm. Uh, and uh, so Proverbs was written by David. Yeah. Which is the king of the, right. like David and Goliath, David, David and Goliath yeah. and Ecclesiastes <laughs> is written by Solomon, David's son, mm. who is said to be the wisest man in the world or that mm. ever lived. And uh, is that where the phrase like the songs of Solomon come from? Well, Song of Solomon is written by Solomon. Yeah. Uh, or, or or people around him. I'm, it's not clear. Song of Solomon is like a little porno in the middle of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, but Ecclesiastes is like Buddhism tucked mm. away. Tucked away. If there's any book I think anybody should recommend, uh, that I would recommend for anybody to read in a Bible, it's Ecclesiastes. Probably. Mm. Uh, if you if If you want to dip your toe in. Yeah, for folks at home, it's going to be impossible to not talk about faith and religion for this movie because it's rooted so heavily in that. Uh, so, understandably, if that makes anybody uncomfortable or you know you don't really want to hear a lot about that kind of stuff, perfectly understandable. But this movie is just so rooted in Catholicism and Christianity; it's really tough to talk about the thematics of this movie without going into some of that stuff. So I mean, yeah, and we'll do our best. We'll we'll do our best to give an objective perspective. I, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I you know, I I have tried in terms of my own religion. I I do my best to give an objective perspective. You know, like, uh, and Sarah Sarah watched this with me last night, and she is agnostic. So, uh, it was interesting to get her perspectives on things. Mm-hmm. You know, so. It sparked a good conversation. Uh, and what were your initial thoughts, Rickster? Mm. So, yeah, my history with this film. So, um, first of all, you said your favorite books of the Bible. Yeah, you yeah, said your yeah. favorite books. I'm a basic bitch. I love Genesis. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the original. Yeah, the OG. <laughs> I'm a hipster. Um, uh, but... <laughs> My history with this film is I saw it when I was definitely too young to see it, yeah, um, which I think is the story for most people with this movie. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, my uncle, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it was getting to the age where I was really starting to become like a big film buff. I was starting to watch so many movies and I was really into horror. I still am. But like at that time, I was watching a lot of horror movies and I can't remember what exactly happened? My uncle's like, have you seen The Exorcist? He's like, it's supposed to, it's the scariest movie of all time. And I was like, no, I've never seen it. And so one night he came, he came over, we, we sat in the living room and he, we put it in The Exorcist. And yeah, it was pretty scary. Um, <laughs> for, for that age, again, I can't remember yeah. how old I was. I was 10 as well. I was really young. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, it was scary. I, I, yeah, I think. This movie kind of gets past a lot of adults' radar because of the subject matter, mm-hmm. you know, because it is religious in nature, and it's almost like a warning, mm-hmm. you it's know. A it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, hey, this could happen to you. You better behave, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know. 
But what about as a, an adult? How do you feel about it as an adult? So, yeah, uh, so I've I, I've seen it a few times since you know then. I've gone back to it a, a number of times, not a bunch, but a little bit. And I definitely, it's not as scary to me as it was back then. Uh, the movie's a little bit slower than I remembered it being. Yeah. Uh, and the like really horrifying, scary stuff is a little bit more spread out than I remembered it. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, there's some of those iconic images of, you know, her head turning all the way around and, and, um, the, uh, crawling, crawling down the stairs, like arched backwards with blood dripping out of her mouth. Um, obviously the, uh, masturbating with the, uh, with the, with the cross. Yeah. That's probably the most visceral. There's I some, think. there's some really, yeah, there's some, those images, but those happened so much farther apart than I remembered. And to be honest, the scenes that made me the most uncomfortable were the medical scenes, were the scenes oh, where yeah. she was getting her angioplasty and, and uh, spinal tap, yeah, all that stuff. Or sorry, not angioplasty, angiogram. I apologize to all my medical uh, people that listen out there, our medical audience, which my sister and my dad. So someone would be yeah. like, "No, you're wrong, sir." Angiogram. I apologize. Like those those old seventies like medical procedures were were really realistically done, and like. You know, they they made it feel really viscerally real. And then, like, the loud sounds yeah. and stuff like that. Anytime it was medical, it was very unsettling. And I've I've seen, you know, I've seen surgeries. I watch, you know, my, like I said, my dad's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. My sister's a doctor. I've seen a whole bunch of, like, surgeries and, and things like that. And, and you know, that stuff that usually doesn't bother me. And I've, like, cut into a cadaver before. So, like, that stuff should, usually doesn't bother me. For some reason, this movie, it made me a little uncomfortable. You've cut into a cadaver? Yeah. That's wild to me. Yeah. Uh, we had a, like, a, gosh, I can't remember what the class was called, but it was, like, a medical professionals type class in high school. Like, it was it was really cool. It was kind of like a health class, but it was even more, like, focused on, like, medicine. And we went to a cadaver lab. We went to a cadaver lab, and it was fun. That's a bad idea to let high school kids play with dead bodies. I, mean, I, I we just went can't. To, we went to a cadaver lab that was specifically that was specifically education based, and so they had, you know, they knew how to handle high schoolers, and and everything was laid out for us in a very safe way. Not in twenty twenty two, baby. Not in twenty twenty two. Fair enough. Well, yeah. Uh, but anyway, my view of this film is: I still think it's a really good film. It's really well directed. The music is so eerie. And wonderful. There's lots of great imagery. The acting's really good. Even from like Linda Blair, who was only like 12 or 13 at the time. Like, yeah. And the effects are amazing. It's, it's a pretty well made film. Cons- all considering, we'll get into history. We'll get into how this film came to be a little bit later and you'll learn a little bit more of the history. So, all things considered, it's a pretty dang good movie. What about you? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I, I enjoyed the tone of the film. I think that it's, it really like captures tonality mm-hmm. really well. Yeah. It's not that scary, honestly, like, like in terms of it's like suspenseful filmmaking, mm-hmm. like it, 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 you stay in a, an emotional place the whole time, you know, this like bubbling of simmering and bubbling up of this evil, is kind of always there throughout the film and its presence is always there and it's kind of always looming, but there's not a whole lot of like, ah, moments like, ah, like 
maybe as a, a kid like it's a different gore, style of horror yeah maybe as a kid the gore would get me mm-hmm. you know like the head turning around and all those moments like the scariest moments in the film are just the flashes of the demon's face yeah you know that's mm-hmm. probably like the most like and I, I I think this time I appreciated I appreciated different things, mm-hmm. um, which we can get into more. But like, I think I I'm fascinated with the first fifteen minutes of this movie, mm-hmm. or the first ten with minutes, the, I guess, with the uh, like Mesopotamian, yeah, like, like uh, uh, temple and the the ruins in Iraq. Yeah, yeah, that's. To me, there's so much there that I is want that to know more about. Is Mesopotamian or is that Assyrian? It might be Assyrian. They're in Iraq. Right. I think that might be Northern Assyria Iraq. then. It's Mesopotamian. It's Mesopotamian. Oh, it is uh, Mesopotamian. Oh, cool. Because, yeah. like, I don't think they mention his name, the, the the entity's name in this movie. They might reveal who the demon is in, in yeah. other movies in the franchise. It's supposed to be Pazuzu. Yeah. Uh, Pazuzu is a is a, a, is a Assyrian, Mesopotamian demon god yeah which uh, i looked up with the whole evil against evil stuff i don't know if you checked that out but uh that that line at the beginning of the movie uh it's evil against evil is was like fascinating to me i was like Mm -hmm. what is this what is this about so i kind of delved in and looked up uh kind of what's going on there and this particular demon pazuzu was used uh, in like in ancient culture as um, a totem or a symbol to ward off other demons. Like, oh, this is the baddest dude of the bad, so like, stay away. Kind of, yeah. Like, it's evil against, it's using evil to ward off evil, mm-hmm. right? And so, to me, what that evokes is questions about, um, it's evil is more complicated than black and white. It is actually like, there's a lot of, it's like, there's a cosmic battle for your soul and even the demons are fighting each other for it. So it's like, and so it's like, it evokes a a, a lot of who possesses you, what possesses you, Mm. you know, which is interesting. There's more things in, there's more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than the dreamt among us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and I mean to, to go to your point about evil versus evil. I'll, I'll, that kind of goes along with my my theme glean, which we'll get into a little bit later. But for now, let's take a step forward instead of to the side as we usually do, and talk about how this film came to be. So this film was directed by William Friedkin, uh, very acclaimed director, uh, director of The People versus Paul Crump. The Bold Men, Mayhem and on a Sunday Afternoon, The Thin Blue Line, Good Times, The Birthday Party, The Night They Raided Minsky's, The Boys in the Band, The French Connection, Sorcerer, The Brinks Job, Cruising, Deal of the Century, To Live and Die in L.A., Rampage, The Guardian, Blue Chip, Jade, Rules of Engagement, The Haunted, Bug, Killer Joe, and The Devil and Father Amherst. Uh, but he also directed episodes of The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, the Twilight Zone, Cat Squad, Cat Squad, Python Wolf, Tales from the Crypt, Jailkeepers, or sorry, Jailbreakers, Twelve Angry Men, and CSI Crime Scene Investigation. This film was written by William Peter Blatty, or is it Paul Blatty? Oh my God, I, I second guessing myself. Yeah, 
I wrote it wrong on here. Sorry. It's William Peter Blatty. This film was written by William Peter Blatty. Uh, William Peter Blatty also wrote the screenplays for The Man from the Diners Club, A Shot in the Dark, John Goldfarb, Please Come Home, Promising Her Anything, What Did You Do in the War, Daddy, Gun, The Great Bank Robbery, Darling Lily, Mastermind, The Ninth Configuration, and The Exorcist Three. He also wrote the novels of Which Way to Mecca, Jack, John Goldfarb, Please Come Home, I, Billy Shakespeare, Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, The Ninth Configuration, Legion, Demons 5, Exorcist Nothing, A Fable, Elsewhere, Dimiter, Crazy, and The Exorcist of the 21st Century. Mm. So It's a lot. I think Mr. Blatty has a religion thing. <laughs> Maybe. We got, we got Mecca, we got several exorcists, we got demons, we got legions, we got the ninth configuration, we got, yeah, sounds like a lot of religious stuff, <laughs> which is fine. I think Elsewhere is also a religious, uh, more religious themed novel. But with all that being kind of laid out there, let's go into the actual story of how this film came to be. So, in the early 70s, author and screenwriter William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist, was heavily inspired by the real-life accounts of an exorcism of Robbie Mannheim, not his real name, that took place in Maryland in 1949. The publishing house Harper and Rowe saw a lot of commercial potential in Blatty's novel, so they published it right away and sent Blatty on a 26-city book tour to promote it. However, the book didn't sell quite as well as they thought it would, and some bookstores started canceling Blatty's appearances and even sending unsold copies of the book back to the publisher. Harper and Rowe were just about to pull the plug on the book tour when the folks at the Dick Cavett show reached out to them to have Blatty come on the show as an emergency replacement guest. Blatty went on the show and was able to talk about his book at length and have a conversation with the captivated audience on the existence of the devil. After his appearance on the Dick Cavett show, Blatty's novel started selling like crazy, quickly reaching the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Interest in turning the book into a film shortly came after. However, even with Blatty's previous screenwriting experience, he found it difficult to get the movie made. With some help from producer Paul Monish, Blatty eventually optioned the film rights to Warner Brothers for $641,000, which is about $3.2 million adjusted in today's time. Blatty himself was brought in to write the script, having to cut out many aspects of the original novel to make space for the narrative, but the search for the remaining cast and crew had just begun. Several talented directors' names were floated around this project, including the likes of Stanley Kubrick. However, Blatty insisted on hiring director William Friedkin as after he was impressed by Friedkin's Oscar-winning work on The French Connection. With Freakin on board, casting commenced. Many of the many stars were considered for main roles in this film, uh, but for one reason or another, they turned it down or had to pull out, leaving the film with no huge star power. As Ellen Burstyn and playwright Jason Miller were cast to play the two adult leads of uh, uh, Chris and uh, shoot, Karis, Chris and Karis. To Warner Brothers' chagrin, they were not happy to not have a big star in the, mm. in the film. However, the search for Regan was even more complicated. Regan wanted the actress to be close in age to the actual character, but be mature enough to handle the extremely dark and disturbing material as well as the physical demand of the role. Estimates say over 500 actresses auditioned for the role, but Linda Blair 
impressed him the most. Production on the film began in 1972 and quickly people began to feel things weren't quite right on set. With delays and onset accidents, the film took twice as long to shoot as expected and went $2.5 million over budget. Actors, including both Burston and Blair, were seriously injured on set while filming. Lights would fall from the ceilings and the set even caught fire at one point. Wow. Wow. All of these instances, along with situations that surrounded the cast and crew during filming and after filming, led many to believe that the film was cursed due to its subject matter. Many of the living cast and crew still believe this to this day. The Exorcist hit theaters in the winter of 1973, and the film became a huge success. It would run in theaters for just about two full years. Two full years this film was in theaters making a total of $441 million worldwide on a $12 million budget. Again, that is in 1973. Wow. Yeah, making it the highest grossing R-rated horror film of all time until it was surpassed by Stephen King's It in 2017. But it still remains the second highest grossing R-rated horror film of all time and is still in the top 30 highest highest grossing R-rated films, period. The Exorcist's scary reputation and rumors of a cursed set helped propel the film to 10 Oscar nominations for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound. And Blady would go on to take home the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. The Exorcist's legacy lives on as many still find it to be one of the scariest films of all time. Along with spawning its own franchise, The Exorcist is credited with popularizing the exorcism subgenre of horror that we have become so familiar with in modern cinema. So I guess you could say the film is pretty compelling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is the story of The Exorcist. The power of film compels you. <laughs> so, so yeah, man. I mean, there's a whole documentary about the the onset just wildness, wildness that was going on during the filming of this movie that, like, I couldn't go all the way into. But I just listed a few. But like, again, so Ellen Burstyn in the scene where she gets thrown from the bed and like hits her head and stuff like that, yeah. she hurt her back. Um, and ha- couldn't work for two weeks. Um, oh, wow. And they use that take. So in that take, that pain that you see her, like she like like arches her back. So she had hurt her back severely. And then Linda Blair also uh, fractured like her coccyx while doing one of the bed scenes uh, where the straps weren't on tight enough and she got like flung. Huh. Um, so like, yeah, man. Like And like cast and crew had family members die during like the filming of this, like a, a, an odd number of people related to people working on this movie were passing away and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's very weird. This film has a weird vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I honestly am struggling with my assessment of this, of what this film is about. Yeah. I I mean, there's like, there's like, I can get surface things, very Christian, like allegorical things, but if I'm trying to like really sum it up, it's it's not easy. It's not an easy one. No, you know? and 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 it's also with the whole idea of our show being like, how can we look at of, this and apply it to our lives? You know, and like, how does it reflect in the yeah. way we live? 
this film is so it's it, like we said earlier it's so rooted in catholicism right like religion yeah. religion and faith faith in particular so it's like it's hard to extrapolate that to like an everyday kind of scenario but yeah. we'll try we'll try yeah. um and see what we because you know faith is one thing but like the teachings and the, at least the intention of what faith is supposed to bring you can be can be, can be applied to other things yeah um but yeah i agree when i was watching this movie i i I rushed it twice. I struggled. I was struggling to really pull something out that wasn't based in, in Catholicism, you know, yeah. and based in faith. Yeah. Um, uh, but like I said, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, what an interesting little history this film has. Um, yeah. Based off real exorcisms. Still, you know what? You know, there's still priests in the Catholic church that still are licensed to do that, right? Yeah. It's... It's an outdated practice, but they still they still do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love to talk to somebody like that. I would love to like pick their Ooh. brain, you know. Ooh, maybe that could be a spinoff thing that we do on this show. Like we like reach out to people that like are in some of these kinds of realms of of these movies. Like, yeah, reach out to a stripper for and and like do like a let the stripper react to our episode of Hustlers and then talk to them. About yeah, yeah, it. yeah. That'd be, That'd be interesting. interesting. Oh man, that's something I yeah. would be interested in trying. Actually, yeah. Ooh. Okay. Um, um, maybe in the future. But yeah, that's season two. <laughs> <laughs> we go back and we just have people react to our old episodes for next se- <laughs> for next season. Um. All right. I think it's time to move on to what is it? Yeah. Time to you know what time it is, Seth. Time Vlog. to vlog the log. Flog in the log. (coughs) (coughs) Poor Seth. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a short one. This is a shorty. Shorty patorty. Um, So, again, Seth, I'm going to – I wrote this log line for this film. Seth is going to score it, and we're going to see how it holds up to my overall score here. My current average score is 7.73. So Seth is going to score me out of 10 on my – my log line for The Exorcist. So here we go. A troubled priest attempts to free a young girl possessed by a sadistic demon while battling his own crisis of faith. 10 out of 10. Yeah, baby! Woo! Raise that average, brah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, this one I thought was pretty easy to summarize, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. we're like, like you, like you said, like hit the, hit the, hit the sail, hit the tone. It's, it's a, it's a priest with problems who then has to get rid of a demon, but he also is like having problems with his own faith. It's like, it's all, it's all just writ- It's all rich and written in there already. Yeah. Yeah. It's so inherent. Sweet. So that, Oh, let's do some math here. Yeah. That raises my average above an eight. I have an 8.05 now. Nice. Nice. That's pretty good. I'll take it. Woo. All right, everybody. That was uh, our segment. Flog. The Flog. Join us again next time. (laughs) Okay. It is that time. So, Seth, since you picked this film, it is your turn to ask the question. Okay. All right. All right, Ricky. Ricardo, play Diaz. What? (laughs) 
The Exorcist. What's it about? Okay, so yeah, again, really tough to pull themes that that aren't faith based, but some of the overarching stuff that was in that I felt in there before I get to kind of where I really where I got the most out of this film. I mean, there are definitely elements of of loss of faith, family, uh, specifically like neglect. Um, there is themes of uh, like a desperate search for answers. There's guilt. Um, but I think for me, it's so this film is called The Exorcist, not The Exorcism. And I think that's a big clue, right? And so it's not yeah. so much like about the process of the exorcism. It's about the person who's doing the exercising. Yeah. And first we, we think that this film is talking about uh, Father Marin, who's the, who is the priest who uncovers the Pazuzu artifact in Iraq um, and all that stuff. Um, we think that yeah. he's the exorcist and he, he is, but he ends up not being, being the one, right? He ends up not right. being the spoiler alert. He ends up not making it through the exorcism alive. Um, and it's actually the, our priest who is not only a, a, a psych a psychologist, you know, yeah. he, he's a skeptic and he's in the midst of his own crisis of faith. Yeah. Uh, where he's been disillusioned through his years of working with the church, his mother being sick, uh, and then eventually passing away while he wasn't there. And he blames himself. He even says as much as I, 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 I think I've lost my faith. He says to one of his friends, more than a friend, probably. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there is some gay coding in this for sure. Yeah. Um, so for me, for Karis, this troubled priest being the one that completes the exorcism, kind of, he doesn't do it in the way that the church does it. Like he doesn't get rid of the, the, the demon in, in the way that I'm sure the exorcism is supposed to go. But he does save the girl. Yeah. Even amidst his, his crisis of faith, even amidst all his guilt and, and the fact that he, he's thinking of quitting the clergy because he, he feels that guilty and that sinful. That So I think this film for me is kind of about and to go to your point about the evil and evil versus evil type thing, just because you've sinned doesn't mean you're incapable of doing good. That's kind of where okay. I've landed. So it's like, you don't have to be without sin to be a good person. Yeah. This guy. And, and so, and there, so again, there are arguments to be made, especially if it's someone that's more religious that Karis taking the demon within himself and then killing himself, that is a mortal sin, right? Suicide is a mortal sin. Well, that's, I think, the crux of... He, does he damn himself to save this girl? Well, well, we don't know. Like, I think it's very similar to... So it's actually interesting. I didn't realize that this... There's another movie we've done with this same kind of mm -hmm. contradiction uh, in Bruges, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
I think what they they give us at the end is that moment where he's absolved of his sins. Absolved of his sins. He has a moment where he's still alive, so that he's able to mm-hmm. ask for forgiveness. But he can't speak. Right. He can only squeeze a hand. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's uh, I think it's intentionally ambiguous as well to whether or not mm-hmm. he even knows what's going on, but. Yeah, so so say say you're thingling one more time. So uh, y- yeah, you you don't have to be without sin to do to do good things. You know, like I think people when they've done something wrong or they have guilt over something, I think they they'll view themselves as this as this bad person. Yeah. And, and who's incapable of doing anything good, right? Or who since I am bad, I there's no good that I can do. And I think Karis embodies this idea of you can have guilt, you can think that you've sinned, you can think that you've that you are not worthy of God, if you want to take that religious view of it. Um, you know, you're not worthy of this higher label of being a good person. But yeah. that doesn't mean that you can't save someone's life. You know, you're not you're not incapable of putting good in the world just because you think you're bad. If that makes sense. I I agree with your sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree that that is in this movie, and it's. I mean, that's. I, I think it's most mostly clear with Damien. Mm-hmm. Like it's cl- very clear with Damien. 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 You know, but at the same time, I mean that's. I mean, that is the message of grace, right? Like that is the message kind of of from a very Catholic, from a very Christian perspective, like that is, that is grace, right? Mm. We've kind of talked about grace on this podcast before. Um, So it's like, there is good and evil, but you're, how it plays out is kind of not really up to you, Mm -hmm. uh, I think. Um, you can just do your best and try to do good, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what Damien's trying to do. I mean, mm-hmm. but like, that's interesting, right? Like this crisis of faith, this is major crisis. It's what allows him to, to save her at the end, you know, like, like I said, so this exorcist is being done by this one priest who's, who's done it before, uh, Marin, a uh, father Marin who's very sick, very clearly, but just going to try and do this. And he's doing it by the book to the letter, right? Yeah. He's like, you have to do it like this. And it seems like maybe it's working, but it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. And so Father Marin dies in the process of this exorcist. Yeah. Of this exorcism. And Karis has to try and do it by himself. Again, in the midst of him not fully believing, you know, or not – he does fully believe, though. So here's, here's, this is where this movie, like, I don't know if it loses me, but it's like a jump in logic or like, I, I'm not quite sure as to exactly what's well, going on. So, so I, it's not that he doesn't believe, well, yes, he, so he's definitely believes that there's a demon in this girl and he, yeah. and, but I think where the lack of faith lies in God's ability to do anything about it. I don't know. I, I think there's a there's a clear moment 
where he makes a faith leap. Is it when he jumps and, out the window? Well, no. I mean, it, that's what he has. He chooses to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like a true, I guess that is a true faith leap if you want to get like brass knuckles about it. But like, uh, I think the moment he's talking to Linda Blair's mom, Reagan's mom downstairs and she asks him straight up, do you think she's going to die? And he just has this like resound no. Like, mm. and uh, like he kind of makes it a, a like so this is kind of i mean if you have this much evidence that Mm. that there is like something going on beyond this i think it's like you gotta hope or at least choose to hope that the good side is there too Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's like he comes to this resounding conclusion that no she's going to live because he believes, I think he believes in the other priest at this moment. I, I read that differently. I, I, I read that. I because I think during that exorcism, I think he's still not sure. You know, I think he's not sure if, if they can win. You know what I mean? Like he sees I mean, that, t- he sees that father Marin is sick. You see him look at him when he's coughing and, and, and you can see that he's still skeptical. He's he's terrified. Right. I think he's terrified, but like removed from that, if there's, this is all the evidence he needs to, for his faith to be like, Mm. like, so I I read that more as just determination, you know? I don't know. I, I, to to me, I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to save her, but I don't think he's fully convinced until the moment where he has to, you know, in the finale where he's got to go it alone, you know, I think that moment is where he fully accepts God's power and trusts that if he does this thing that he plans on doing, um, that, you know, God will give him grace somehow. And in a way God didn't take him until his friend was able to absolve him. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is all speculating on like if you believe in in yeah in God, like in God's intervention in our lives and things like that. So like, otherwise, you can look at it as more of just like a lot of luck. Um, and again, if you don't believe in, it's hard to watch this movie and not and not at least by at least in the world of the movie that God and and hell exists. Right in the world of this movie, it does. So. I think for some people that might be hard to like get over the fact that this movie in this world of this movie, heaven and hell exist, God exists, the devil exists. So everything in this movie, you have to look through at that lens. Well, so I, I, I mean, oh, yes, there, there is, there is the Christian lens a hundred percent. And that's why I am trying to glean something that is beyond just a doctrinal perspective mm-hmm. right uh and so like this grace concept is is there you know um but i think there's personally i think there's something more going on with this movie right well just to that. just to reiterate so i'm trying i am trying to take this idea of the sin away from a, <coughs> from a religious lens in that 
I do think people, I know I do this whenever I've made a mistake, whenever I've done something wrong, instead of trying to move past it, it I will fest, I'll let it fester and yeah. I will let it make me feel like a bad person. Even if the thing I did wasn't even all that bad itself, right? It could be like choosing, choosing not to go to a friend's birthday party. Right. Yeah. It's not really a sin. Like it's not like that's a, that's like on a list of the 10 commandments or anything like that. It's kind of a, a kind of a shitty thing to do. Like thou shalt not be flaky. (laughs) That's the 11th commandment. (laughs) Oh God. So many people would go to hell if that was one of them, (laughs) but it's like kind of a shitty thing to do. You know, not very kind, but like, that doing something like that for the next week and a half, I'll just be like, wow, you're a piece of shit. You know, like that BoJack Horseman episode where you just hear him in his head that constantly talking about how much he hates himself. It's like, it's that. And BoJack's BoJack, BoJack does this thing that I'm talking about where he fixates on all his bad qualities and it makes it hard for him to do good things because he's just like, why should I do anything good? Cause I'm so bad anyway. You know, yeah. there's no redeeming me. Even though, like, he's not religious, you know, yeah. there is no redemption in me because I am bad. Yeah. And I think that's like, I think that in, that's why in like Catholic culture and Christian culture, suicide is put into this place of ultimate damnation is because if you damn yourself, of co- like, it's not your place to mm-hmm. damn yourself, you know? And so it's like, you have to hope that there is forgiveness. So it's like, I can see self-forgiveness. That's I see what you're saying. That's such an ironic thing about like Catholicism and Christianity. It's like this idea of like, oh no, like, like you're, you shouldn't damn yourself. Like that's not your place. And, and like, oh, there's always, there's forgiveness, but like there's more shame almost in that culture than there is in almost any other culture. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a problem. I think that's a huge it's, it's, misstep. It's, it's a huge misstep in yeah. the, in the, the uh, expression of the of Christian culture. It's like a huge one of the major problems I've always had with it is like it's such a judgmental place mm-hmm. for a place that shouldn't be about judgment. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but so self forgiveness. I think okay, I, I see that like huge. Like Damien needs to, but I I don't know if that's where his like. I don't know if that's where his crisis of faith is coming from. Maybe a little bit, you know, maybe he's struggling with sexuality or he has struggled with the sexuality. So this is from what we learn about Damien, uh, Karis, uh, he is a very gifted psychologist. Yeah. He, he went to school. He, people know he could have, I think at one point people talk about like, you could have been a rich and successful psychologist but you decided yeah. to go into the clergy instead. Yeah. Sacrificing big, this money and this this stability for this. There's a big hint as to why, too, uh, I think. At the very beginning of the movie, uh, he's, like, watching her mm-hmm. as – and then he's, like, walking away, and there's a line that she says to the, the like, public, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's, like, you have to change – you have to change something from within. You can't like, you're only going to affect change from inside the system. So it's like, consider, consider you can, 
you could think possibly that maybe Damien hasn't always had the strongest faith period, Mm. but he decided to go into the clergy to affect priests, Mm. you know, like to be their psychologist because he knows that the system needs someone who is grounded in reality and which is kind of progressive for the seventies looking at the Catholic church, right. And, you know, looking at all the issues that the Catholic church has had throughout their history with mental illness. Um, if you want, sexuality is a, if you want to call it that, yeah, there's a huge, I mean, sexuality, like I would say a major theme in this movie is acceptance of sexual, uh, uh, Mm. sexuality, acceptance, like the acceptance of your own sexuality. Mm-hmm. because like it's i mean there's definitely undertones of uh definitely undertones of like homosexuality with the priests uh there's like a real like a major roman polanski subtle undertone in this movie too mm-hmm. uh it's a little sorry if this is triggering but like it is possibly implied that the director that is killed and thrown out the window tried to or did have some sort of sexual encounter with Reagan. Mm-hmm. When he's in his room, why would he have been in her room? Yeah. And like, so for like drawing evil against evil here, mm-hmm. it's basically, basically Reagan is being protected by this demon right. against that that evil. Well, that also brings in the question of like, and they asked this question in the movie, and I want to get your take on it. Why Reagan? Why Reagan? Reagan is nowhere, has nothing. They're they're not even religious in this household. They don't even they don't even have. Yeah. So like, why was Reagan targeted by this demon? I mean, I think it's that moment, right? I think, I think. Uh... Oh man, we're gonna get into some. We could get into some stuff, baby. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, is is because this is we get hints that maybe this thing is around Reagan already, right when we meet them. You know, one of the first things we see we we see happen is um, I think her, I I want to make sure that I got her name right because um, I don't want to be calling her the wrong name throughout the whole movie. Uh, the mom, the mom. I think it's Chris, but let me double check. Emily, what is it? I don't let me, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna find it. It is Chris. I was right. Okay. Chris. <clears throat> so Chris hears the something shuffling in the attic, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like there, we got rats, and the and her her uh, her help was like, we don't have rats. She's like, no, we have rats, so take care of it. So and then Reagan is talking to someone she calls Mister Howdy uh, with a Ouija board, and so like yeah. there's. Before anything goes down, there's like subtle nods that maybe this thing is already hanging out. Yeah, um, it's, def- it's definitely there. It's but, definitely there. But then when she's under hypnosis, the 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 hypnotist, the hypnotherapist is like, "Is Mister Howdy who's inside you?" And Reagan says, "I don't know." So, so maybe it's not. Maybe it was that was just. Oh, it's uh, there. You can tell the exact moment that she's possessed. No, 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 no. I mean. When he asks her who the entity is inside her, he asks her specifically, do you think that this person is Mr. Howdy, the person you've been talking to? 
And she says she she doesn't know if it's the same thing. You I think mean? it is. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely it's heavily thing. implied that it is, but yeah. it's it's not confirmed. So like yeah. it's weird because again, this thing is kind of already hanging around Reagan as soon as we meet her. Like the yeah. moment. We don't see a moment where like this thing why was it hanging around her already? Well, I and, think it's and so to go to your to your point of like there's an implication of that Reagan has experienced some kind of trauma. Yeah. Um and if like the that director was in her room then was that the first time? Right? Yeah. yeah. So it gets a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But also we see the moment where like she she's overhearing her mom trying to get a hold of her dad um and how her dad neglects her and again there's that trauma too, the abandonment um which I was talking about earlier about like family relations and, and neglect. Her mom's this this famous actress getting invited to the White House for the dinners. Yeah, like yeah. her mom is a very famous and successful actress who is pretty hedonistic yeah. in the beginning of the film. <laughs> and I think, so I think, I mean, Sarah noticed this, which I was like, I wasn't even, it wasn't even on my radar, but she, the, the, the amount of times she takes the Lord's name in vain in this movie is outrageous. <laughs> like she I did not says, notice that. she says either JC or GD or just like, like, you won't say it. I, I, I prefer not to, That's fair. you know, but, uh, she she just is constantly blaspheming essentially mm-hmm. and uh so there's to be said it's to be said or alluded to that maybe her blasphemous attitude is what's creating the space mm-hmm. for this demon right like that's what's allowing it to be present okay. and and then i think i don't think it has anything to do with like her opening the attic, right? No, like no, no. It's like, not like that was her opening the door. The thing was already there. Yeah. Well, it's because Reagan even says like my bed was shaking before that moment. Yeah, yeah. So, so no. To me, what's happening here is Roman Polanski or whatever his name is in the movie uh, Burke. Uh, Burke. <laughs> Burke uh, comes up. It's. Uh, I'll find it here. Give me a second. It's Burke Dennings. Yeah. So, Burke comes upstairs. Well, I guess she's technically already possessed, right? Yeah, at that point, yeah, yeah. But again, so maybe that. But again, this, this is, is like the illusion of like, is this the first time? Yeah, yeah. So, Burke, Burke could have tried something in the past. Oh, it, holy crap. That also may make more sense as to what Reagan says to the doctor. What does Reagan say to the doctor? I forget. So again, this is a triggering phrase, and I don't like to say this phrase, but this is the quote. Keep your fingers out of my cunt. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. When the doctor's like, does your daughter swear? You know, swear? And she's like, never. Well, he's like, well, she let a string of, a string of, a string of them yeah. out at me. It's to keep your goddamn fingers out of my cunt. Yeah. So I think what's happened is, okay, so I'm going to say what I think this movie is about. Okay. And I think it's in relation to how she became possessed. Okay. okay? And it's, uh, I think this movie is about the measures you will go to combat evil. 
because it's really hard to to know what to do to combat against evil Mm -hmm. um especially if i mean if you're someone without faith it's even more especially hard because you don't have any direction as to what is good and evil Mm -hmm. or you have a much harder time like some of the lines that it's like the demon will confuse you it'll mix truth with lies you know Mm -hmm. and so like i think like moving through this world it's really hard to know how to combat evil uh because it all gets muddied Mm -hmm. you know and so what i think's happened in this movie is reagan is her sexuality has been awoken Mm -hmm. probably by this director and she's willing to do anything to protect herself against this guy. And so she's allowed this demon essentially to come into her body to protect her. Mm. And so it's like created this open space uh, for this demon to live because and it's not even her fault, really. Mm. You know, it's this molester's well, fault. She's vulnerable, right? She, uh, she was traumatized yeah. and, and, vul- and left open and vulnerable. Yeah. 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 And so I think that's what's going on. And I think it's evil against evil, right? Like we even see it with the priest, like the OG priest mm-hmm. and his medicine, which is like potentially witchcraft, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has these drugs that he takes because he has to take them or he'll die mm-hmm. or, you know, he has such a bad panic and anxiety attacks. I mean, even even from a Christian perspective, where there is fear, there is no God, right? So, like, so Have, like having a crisis of his own faith, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, like, I think again, like I said, the first ten minutes of this movie is are fascinating. It's fascinating yeah. because we're seeing this priest not know how to combat against evil. It's everywhere. It's yeah. it's and it's old it's so old it's been around forever and it's so powerful and it's coming from all directions it's not just it's not just black and white you know it's like we're it's like where is the white Mm -hmm. like how do you see the white how do you see the light and Mm -hmm. and uh you know like he he, I think he feels totally consumed by the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. The, I, I, the older priest is who I feel the most sorry for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Like that's the, when he dies, I don't know what's going on. Well, also we like don't know. We, we, he's alive when we leave the room and then he's dead when we make it into the room. So we yeah, don't actually we, know what, if it, it's like a responsibility of, and, and like Reagan is like sitting on the bed, just kind of like staring at him as he's like laying yeah. face down on the bed, like dead. And you, it, you don't know, did, did the demon kill him or did he just die? Because he, yeah. he was sick and, you, yeah. and it's, he was exerting too much. Um, yeah. We don't know. And like the fact that like, Reagan slash this Pazuzu is so calm while like he's just dead on the bed and she's just sitting there. Um, yeah. It's, it's almost like he was, I mean, maybe it, he was just taken, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe he just like had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. You know? Yeah. We don't, we don't know if it was just his like 
yeah biology if it was just his physical illness just took him at that moment because again he was exerting himself a lot a lot and he's elderly and he was sick and so like it could have just been natural but you know and you'd think like that demon would like brag if they had done it you know what i mean yeah like be like it was almost like relief yeah that this guy's dead you know Mm -hmm. more more than more than like oh celebratory yeah yeah it's more like I can't believe I got away with this. I can't believe mm-hmm. oof, I'm going to get away with this. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah. Yeah. I get what like, you're saying. I, I I think, yeah, I think you're, you're adding some, some speculation, which can help. This is helping you make like sense of some stuff. It, it like some of that stuff is implied, but also that can be some of just like, again, just yeah, we don't know for stuff. sure. We it's not, it's not but, spelt out, but, I think but the sexual okay. overtones, right. The sexual overtones in this movie are just like ridiculously. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she like, she masturbates with a with a cross. Yeah, yeah, and and, and how sexually explicit this demon is talk, coming out of this 12, 13 year old girl. You yeah. know, talking about your your mother sucks cock in hell. You know, all like all this like, yeah. really heinous heinous stuff, and like constantly asking people to 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 fuck her. And constantly, oh, like jamming her mom's face into her bloody crotch. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, of course, yeah. This movie's, and that's I think one of the most disturbing parts of this movie, and maybe why like it got this like really scary reputa- reputation back then is because it's not as much scary as it is extremely disturbing to see a twelve-year-old, yeah, a thirteen-year-old yeah. say these things and do these things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so if we take the demon concept more metaphorically mm-hmm. right like we don't take it as literal mm-hmm. but like where do demons where do your demons come from mm-hmm. and it's from trauma trauma you know like yeah. creating trauma creates a space for unless you know how to deal with that space unless you know how well, we're gonna oh it's gonna feel so good unless you know how to exercise that space mm-hmm. you're going to create a a, a scar a hole, mm. a place for other things to come in and wreak more havoc. Um, you know, especially like sexual trauma as mm. when you're young, you know, like you're turning on a light switch that might not be ready to turn on or mm. definitely isn't ready to turn on usually. Mm. Uh, you know, Reagan, I think she is on her sexual like cusp. You know, like, I mean, she's um, a, she, I think she goes from being 12 to 13 in during the movie. She has her birthday yeah. and she's like, definitely on her birthday, becoming, right? After her birthday is when all this stuff starts happening to her. Yeah. She, she's definitely becoming aware of sexuality and, uh, like she's aware of the way her mother behaves around certain men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she talks, she talks about how her mom is flirting with the director. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, are you going to go out with him? I know you like him. I see the way you yeah. like talk to him. Yeah. So I think she's becoming sexually aware, but it's, but I think what happens is, is this director definitely crosses a line. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's how that space is created for this demon to come in. It's so, and it's interesting how we don't see him die. We don't see yeah. this happen. We just hear about it. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, honestly, like, I don't think they 
wanted to go there. Right. right? Of course. Like, not in the seventies. Not yeah, in the seventies. So no. It's all implied. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, I think that's how demons are made, right? Like, like something bad happens to you and you don't know how to deal with it. So you deal with it in unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, so something that I think has been really good about this show for me is it's given me a chance to be way more ref- self-reflective on things. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I actually came to a revelation of sorts recently because I was being the Bible. more. Revelations, yes. <laughs> my that's my number two. Genesis first, Revelation second. <laughs> um, but you know, because we were talking about the other week, how I went out with some friends, and I usually don't. I don't go out a lot. So there's a. I went out when I usually don't go out a lot. I went out. Yeah. Uh, and it was my roommate Justin. He he told me we were going to see a friend in a show. He's like, hey, our fr- our mutual friend is doing a show. Would you like to go? I was like, sure. Yeah. Uh, turns out, he was actually surprising me by bringing me to a to an improv show, who is head who a dungeon master slash imp- improv comedian who I'm a huge fan of was actually headlining. Yeah. Um, awesome. It was gonna be a surprise cool. for me because I'm a big fan of this person, cool. and he invited all of a bunch of our other friends. Just for fun, you know, just so it's a nice thing. Um, we get there, and unfortunately, that person canceled. But still had a nice time out with, out with my friends. And apparently, this bar after this improv show, they also do karaoke. Um, and I love karaoke. I do. You know, when I lived in Chicago, I was doing karaoke multiple times a week with groups of friends, kind of thing. Nice, I love karaoke. Nice. But the minute that they were all like, you need to get up there and sing something. You need to get up there and sing something. You have to. Um, immediately, I didn't want to. Um, and which is weird. Let's just like I said, I love if they had not said anything, I absolutely would have walked up there and, and done probably like two, three songs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as soon as they were like, you have to, you need to do this. Like we, we all want you to do this thing. Immediately, I shut down. Right. And, I, huh. you, and you see me do this all the time. Like when it comes yeah. to drinking, when I mean, it comes to mostly anything, like you said, I'm kind of hard headed. I'll dig my heels in. If I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. And it's almost exclusively in social situations. Um, yeah. And so I, so we, we did this thing. And then uh, that was like, again, the next day was our other friend's birthday. And she was having, she was, you know, going out. And I decided not to go. Because I was feeling shut down. I was like, I don't want to go out and be social again. And I felt bad about that. And I was reflecting on, why do I do that? Why yeah. why do I shut down when people are, like, trying to get me to, like, loosen Participate. up? Yeah. Yeah. Why do I do that? And so I started really thinking back of, like, when did that switch happen? Because I was – we talked about this with the Goofy Movie episode. I was the kid that would do stuff on dares. I was, you know – I would do any, almost anything for, for attention and, and laughs. Um, yeah. I even remember like, I, I hate getting my picture taken now. Like my mom, my mom is a scrapbooker. So she takes a lot of pictures. I yeah. don't like it when she takes pictures of me. Um, but when I was little, I was a shutterbug. I was a, every time my mom pulled that camera out, I was hamming it up, you know, getting all the silly pictures, but I yeah. stopped at some point. Um, 
And I'm not going to share, I'm not quite ready to share exactly what this, the moment was, but okay. I did find maybe what might be the source of that. Um, okay. It was uh, a, an incident that happened my freshman year of high school. Um, okay. Where a group of people who I trusted, people were my friends, who who I put a lot of faith in, betrayed my faith in a very hurtful way. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think you, I I won't say it, but I think, have you told me this story? I don't think I have. Maybe I have. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. I haven't told a lot of people that this thing happened, but well, that's the thing is a lot of people that know me and know and knew were in my high school at the time probably know that this thing happened, which is also like one of, like I said, one of the reasons why it was a very hurtful thing. Um, and, but those were supposed to be the people I could trust that I could be free and loose around and, and have fun and not, and not worry about being judged or any of that stuff. Those are those, that was that group of people that I thought I was with and they immediately betrayed that in a, like a very, very hurtful way. Right. Um, and ever since then, man, I, I don't, I I've talked about this podcast about how I'm scared of myself a lot of times. And I don't think that's untrue. I sometimes am afraid of what I'm capable of, but I'm also, I don't trust anybody else to take care of me. Yeah. If I, if I can't control myself, if I can't take care of myself, I don't trust you two either. Right. And so what you're in turn doing, Mm -hmm. I think uh, I mean, and I'm trying to like also extrapolate from what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're creating a space and you're, you're, you're creating a, a demon. This has created a demon within you mm-hmm. that causes you to shut down and isolate. Right. Mm-hmm. But your humanity comes from connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. And so that isolation is actually like crystallizing your anger mm-hmm. and fear. And like, I think, I mean, honestly, like you do have to step out on faith to grow, mm-hmm. you know, not, not necessarily religious faith if that's not where your head lives, but like it takes amount of, an amount of, like you're going to have to make yourself vulnerable again to like right. break that. Well, break that's, those. that's the thing is so I'm going to have to, well, and it's like, it's not like I don't trust people. Like I trust you. I trust, I trust Justin. I do trust people, but there's a, there's a, there's a line, right? I trust yeah. you up until this point. I'm, I trust well, you until I'm not able to control myself. Cause then if I'm able to control myself, me plus you fine, but take myself out of that equation. Then it's like, I no longer trust you. Well, anymore. I mean, there's like a lot of layers to that. I mean, I think, I think, I think. So it's probably a pattern in your life, Ricky. It's not just this one occurrence. Like, I mean, you can trace it down to this dog moment, the dog moment, right? It's mm-hmm. like. Nope. You, Different you, moment. Like I said, I have not told you this moment. I didn't think so. The, the no, dog no, no. moment I, happened when I was young. No, I know that. Oh. I know that. Here's what I'm saying is like this, this moment in freshman year of high school, I'm sure is relevant and is, has helped solidify this demon, right? Mm-hmm. Like how solidify it. But I think this, I think you can trace it even further back to this dog moment, right? Because 
you don't you can't even trust that you're not going to get your face bit off mm. by what's happening around you you know what i mean mm. so it's like you feel like you have to be in control all the time or something might bite your face off mm. so like so like whatever happened to you in your freshman year of high school like I'm sure it was traumatic as well, but it's just continuing to grow that space, mm -hmm. right? Like, like it, you've already got this hole that's been punctured by a dog mm. that it, this is just reinforced by social situations, mm. you know? Um, I think, I mean, I'm no licensed expert, but mm. half the stuff we do on this, on this show is armchair psychology. Yeah. But I think like, that's that's it might be a fair assessment. You know. I, I, yeah, I mean you definitely have it's you have justification for behaving the way you do. But I don't think it is how you grow as a person. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think it's how like you you're, you're again you're using evil to combat evil. Like mm -hmm. you're you're you've created a shield that is preventing you from connecting with other people and being, allowing you to take that shield down. So it's like, you're just reinforcing your own barriers. Mm. Whereas, whereas in order for you to like be able to <clears throat> truly put down those barriers, you're going to have to like choose to, mm. you know, and then, and then you won't have to always have them up. You know, I think, I think it's good that you have the ability to put them up, but I don't think if they're, I think if they're always up, you're missing out on a major part of the human experience. You know, mm -hmm. you're missing out on connection to others, which validates your human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have a, that's true. That's very true. And that that's why in recent weeks I've been saying yes to social situations more frequently. Good. So in the last couple of weeks or so since this this cluster that happened, I've anytime someone's asked me to like go out and do something, I've said yes. I was like, awesome. Sure. Um so I went and saw a play with with a friend, um, went out to a birthday party uh, on Monday and then a PowerPoint party yes last night. Nice. Um, I'm gonna go You're to gonna another birthday. You're gonna come visit Seth in Nashville. <laughs> oh my God, Seth! <laughs> so that's less, it's less of a social thing and more of a financial problem. I know. I'm just trying to get on this yes train while it's, you know. While <laughs> I would uh, look. I would love to. It's just a logistics yeah. thing. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, but and then I'm going to another birthday party on Friday, and you know, trying to just like, you know, be stop shutting myself out. You know, like you yeah. said, like, like allowing myself to not isolate. So yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying. Uh, and, and, and but, so like, but to be, but to, 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 to <laughs> not to my own horn, um, even in those situations, I'm still very in control. So like, it's not a full, yeah. you know, not that, not that I should just go out and just like lose all control. Not that that's like the best idea to do, but no, you know. it's not yeah. take it from someone who has. Yeah. So like. <laughs> But like small steps, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself out there at least a little bit more than I usually would. Yeah. So yeah. Good. 
Good. So I get this idea, and also, and also, like, the, your your idea of like doing anything to combat evil. We definitely see that with with the mom, and like I, the way I saw that was like the way that people look for answers, right? Like yeah. needing needing the answer to the thing, and the way that people, you know, panicked and desperately f- trying to find the answers to things. I, I think that. You know how like the the God works in mysterious ways kind of mm-hmm. saying, right? I really think that this movie is about the mom's growth as a person mm-hmm. and Damien's salvation. Like those two things are like plot wise what's really going on here. Because mm-hmm. like the mom is, I mean, she's horrible to the servants. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. Well, we talk about the rats thing <clears throat> where it's like there are rats in the attic and the guy's like, no, there are no rats in this house. She's like, she's like, um, no, I know there, yeah. there are rats. Yeah. Don't do the thing that I said. Yeah. Like yeah. she is kind of a, a uppity woman. And she's, I mean, she does it on set too. Like this sucks. This writing sucks. Like, can we change this? This doesn't make any sense. You know? And she's essentially the one that's like opening up her daughter to be molested. If you think mm-hmm. about it. By having all these like parties in her house and. Well, and just like. You know, what is her real motivation for being like this old director guy, mm-hmm. you know? So like, she's, she's not actually into him. Mm-hmm. She's still married, right? Like she's still like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You see her rings. Like she's, you know, it's like, it's a weird situation. She's, she's like a casting couch with this director essentially, you know? Maybe. And so, yeah, I mean, so it's about her like having this experience to like wake her up to her treatment of other people, I think. Mm-hmm. And just like give, I mean, literally strike the fear of God in her. I mm-hmm. think that's what, and then Damien is, I think, given the gift of clarity about his faith, you know, mm-hmm. like it, he has to go into a dark, dark, dark place to find it but eventually he is saved mm. you know i i think um and it's like his own self-sacrifice that permits it to happen mm-hmm. you know but i mean for me like not trying to beat around a dead horse here but beat uh, around a dead horse uh, <laughs> <laughs> why would you beat around a dead horse i'm just trying to i, I I've been trying these dead horse jokes lately. <laughs> yeah, I know. People have been loving them. <laughs> yeah, people don't get them. But that's kind of like, that's part of it, right? Like, You're just going to keep doing it. <laughs> I'm beating, I'm trying to beat a dead horse with dead horse jokes. Uh, so I've just started taking other phrases that <laughs> you would normally use and add dead, adding dead horses to them. So like beating around the bush is, is beating around the dead horse. <laughs> you know what they say, once you go dead horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but uh, for me, like I, I really resonate with like this evil against evil stuff. Like, it's not like I want to combat evil with evil, but like, like I said, navigating the world in a way, uh, it, it gets hard not to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, it's I, like this whole idea of like to get a little bit more like analytical and like story nerdy about it. That's the genesis of the antihero, 
right? Yeah. It's yeah. sometimes you need somebody who's a little bit a little bit evil, like a little bit on the dark side to accomplish the good, right? Yeah. Sometimes the the pure good is not enough and you need somebody who's willing to go a little bit darker to get the thing and done. And that's and that's what I mean honestly what I've kind of pursued with my whole life in a way. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like I want to be dark or evil uh the opposite quite the contrary you know but i've also am can clearly see what how the job needs to be done right mm-hmm. like you know like if someone's so far gone they're not going to listen to rote <laughs> rote after school special uh things. platitudes platitudes yeah that's the word i'm looking for they're not going to listen to platitudes to grow as a person they're going to listen to somebody who has life experience and uh can relate to them you know that's that's where the bridges are are connected is when you can be like you can find the humanity in somebody else that's suffering from the same things you suffer from Mm -hmm. right and like i have been through quite a bit of suffering. (laughs) Uh, Some of it, uh, some of it self-induced, some of it not self-induced. But because of that, I, I relate to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, I understand this evil for evil thing evil to battle against evil. It's not the best answer, but sometimes you don't, you don't have a better solution because you don't know, you don't know how to exercise what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I met you probably during one of those like dark. Oh yeah. Darker, more destructive eras of your life. Yeah. Um, and- I remember because I remember like our time in Chicago, some of those really really tough traumas that happened to you. Some we yeah. talked about on the show that we don't have to rehash, but uh, um, and how I saw them affect you, and because yeah. we we you know we were on our improv team together, our our sketch team, and a lot of those things happened while we were on a team together, while we were in this group together. And I yeah. saw the way it affected the way you played, you know. Yeah. I remember. I remember we went to a jam at the Annoyance, and you know, you were in a. Uh, I think this might have been even just like right after the Second City thing happened. I, I can't remember exactly the timeline. It was, but it was something like that. And there was just you know free improv jam that Annoyance would host on Tuesday nights, something like that. And we yeah. would go every week and. You are usually such a supportive player. You're usually very good at giving people, the, like helping to toss up and tee people up for the spotlight. You, you're you yeah. always really good at that. We went to this jam this one night, though, and you were the most destructive I've ever seen you be. As yeah. in, you were you were deliberately derailing things. You were you you were sabotaging scenes. In a way, because I think you were just like fighting back against this thing that had like rejected you a little bit. Yeah. And and I yeah. think I said to you after because people were getting really upset at you 
that night. Um, yeah. Uh, other people the, uh, at the jam were getting pretty annoyed. Um, I don't even that. like rem- the crazy thing is I don't even remember this very well. You know, mm-hmm. like I think I've blocked it out. Uh, well, I, yeah. we had to, we had to actually like, once you went up, we just left. Um, yeah. Because people were, you, the energy in the room was just not, was kind of. I was angry for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I was really angry in Chicago a lot. Um, and I'm just now, I think, figuring out why. <laughs> and, uh, I, it's like, it's complicated. I don't like, I, I want to talk about this mm. and it's, it is vulnerable to talk about, but it's like hard to talk about because it's not for sure situation yet. Mm. Um, so, uh, permission to talk about therapy stuff. Sure. Okay. Uh, so my therapist and I are kind of potentially honing in on a diagnosis for, uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I haven't been like officially tested or anything like that. Um, so it's like, it's like, I don't, I'm scared to talk about it because I don't want to like be wrong and it not be true. But at the same time, my therapist and I are pretty kind of like, yeah, I think this is definitely what's going on. Mm. And so, um, like I said, I'm not a card carry member of, of this, but I like, I'm, I'm pretty sure we figured out what's up with my brain and kind of like where a lot of my trauma Mm. comes from. Um, so I am potentially high functioning autistic Mm. and that has made me be kind of like a social outlier most of my life and has forced me to like, it's caused me to not understand why people don't get me. Mm. You know what I mean? So like what's going on is like, I think really abstractly and I'm also hyperverbal. So people, it's hard for people to like get what I'm talking about sometimes. Mm. And as a kid, it it was made it really difficult to like connect, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I I I always was kind of removed, but like at the same time, so this is where it gets a little weird. Is I was obsessed with becoming connected with other people, mm-hmm. and playing playing pretend, playing pretend was like my favorite thing to do in the world. That's mm-hmm. all I wanted to do. So like I studied literally how to do this for like most of my life, you know, going to theater school, then study improvisation, which I was bad at because of this, like, I'm a big energy, you know, Mm -hmm. like I have a lot of energy trapped in here that people aren't used to getting. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like I go into this environment where they tell you to take your mask off and suddenly this energy comes out that they're like, Whoa, like Mm -hmm. what the is this? You know, and so it's not palatable for most people. Mm. So it took me five years to figure out that, okay, I got to hold that in on up there too, Mm. which is like BS because that's not what the philosophy of improvisation is about. Mm. Right. And so I'm just now getting back on the improv horse, dead horse. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the improv dead horse. Um, the improv dead horse. That was good. That was good. Uh, uh, and, I, and I'm just expecting, inspecting it. It's, yeah. it's still dead. It's still dead. Let's <laughs> see. <laughs> yep, still dead. <laughs> but I'm coming in with this new knowledge, right? This potential new knowledge that I my brain works a little different than most people's. And uh, it's kind of cool. Um, mm. So uh, that being said, like, I'm nervous to talk about it because it's like, like I said, I don't have like a card mm-hmm. that says you're officially autistic. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, I definitely look back. It, it definitely like helps reframe my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, it helps me go, whoa, okay. Like, I can't, like, this all makes sense now. Like, mm-hmm. it all kind of lines up. And uh, I have, so to in relation to what we're talking about, mm-hmm. I have, com- from this whole time, combated evil with evil, right? Like, like I think that scene that you're talking about uh, that night where I was just destructive on stage, I was angry, right? Like I was reacting, like that was me combating evil with evil because I didn't know how to deal with this rejection for what I believe to be honestly expressing myself, mm. right? Because that's what's happened my whole life is I've honestly expressed myself truthfully and then I'm met back with a ferocious rejection or a hit on the nose or, you know, no, you can't be you. You can't be the way you are because mm. you're too much. And so like that emotionality that I have inside me, I have funneled into logic and verbal. Mm. Right. But really what's going on is I'm a very emotional, sensitive person, like mm-hmm. hyper emotional, sensitive person. So it's like created this interesting duality. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so I'm just now like, like, I mean, and not just like that destruct, like that. We both know the destruction, the destructive nature of that scene was just like the tip of the iceberg of actually how I was combating. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was just like, like I said, I, I, that was just where I started to notice that where like, like where I I could see you. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) Fighting, fighting. Yeah. And we, yeah. I also remember, yeah, you were drinking a lot then. Like, yeah. Like trying to find a way to connect with people. And so I would go out every night, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because I was just so lonely and like, uh, yeah, so like I'm just now figuring out, okay, this is actually what's going on with me, mm. you know? So I'm finally able to see the problem. It's not even a problem, you know? It's just a different way to look at the situation. And, uh, you know, it's like I said, it's a work in progress. And, and, but it, I, what I'm, I'm, I am, figuring out a way a path forward to exercise the you know my demons Mm. um which is exciting it's really exciting like whether or not whether or not i am right like you know and i get this card it's at least giving me hope that i can figure out how to move forward in the world in a better way and not use evil against evil like we're saying Mm. like Like I can healthily address my isolation. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Yeah. And so, I mean, whether, and I think honestly, to just bring it back to the movie, kind of like wrap wrap all that up. It's kind of what we see 
Father Harris, Father Karras do. You know, we he comes in this room and he says, you know what, to hell with the way that the church does this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it the only way I know how. Yeah. Which is a more aggressive technique, right? Yeah. To yeah. to his idea, I mean it's his idea. It's it's I'm going to do this thing that is considered a mortal sin. Right? The evil. This thing that I'm about to do is evil. Yeah. I'm going to accept this demon into myself. And then I'm going to, with it, with it, within me, don't kill myself. Yeah. With the hopes and faith that he'll be saved anyway. So it's like, yeah. I'm going to do this evil act, quote unquote, evil act to fight something evil. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, there is a lot of conversation of like this idea of like martyring yourself and things like that of like. In a lot in movies, this thing happens a lot of time where someone will sacrifice themselves for others, and it's considered very heroic and things like that. Um, I think more and more people are starting to challenge that idea of like the idea of like killing yourself, sacrificing yourself for others in that way, and like is that truthfully that should we be celebrating that kind of action in that way? Um, and I think that's a that's a really hard discussion to have. Yeah. Of like whether or not that's okay for some people to, for people to do that and for especially for it to be trade betrayed so heroically um I don't know yeah. like I said that's a conversation I don't think that we have time to have right now but it's definitely I know something yeah. that people will currently push back on is like that like heroic sacrifice is that so great actually yeah. um but you know Karis does it I think I mean you say the girl is saved. It, I think it depends on the intentions mm -hmm. personally. Like if you're doing it for your own self gratification, that's yeah. That's the other thing. Is it, is that yeah. a, a, a way of ex excusing your actions to want to kill yourself, I guess, in a way. I think, I mean, I think it is, I think it would be justified if it's, if it's, I think it's definitely justified if it's an accident. You know what I mean? Like you're just, trying to help somebody and then you die mm -hmm. and your sacrifice is what saves their life. I think those intentions are good. But if you're like wanting to be glorified because of your sacrifice, I don't think that's so great. Mm -hmm. You know, like don't, don't waste a life just to don't waste a life selfishly. Don't selfishly waste a life, yeah. no matter whose life it is, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah, this movie is it's dark. It's a tough one to talk about for sure. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, yeah. our conversation today was much more serious than usual. That's for sure. Yeah. But I think this movie calls for that because it is a very serious movie. So yeah. that was our discussion of The Exorcist. Uh, please let us know what you thought about it in the comments, what your theme gleans are. We'd love to hear them from you guys. Uh, Seth, thank you so much for talking with me. I think today was of a course. very vulnerable day. Uh, so it's time to talk about what's next. So what is next, Seth? Why don't you tell us? Uh, yeah. So um, we're going to have uh, a buddy of mine who is actually Sarah's best friend uh, on the show. I thought show. I was Sarah's best friend. 
you're one of them, but this is, you know, this guy uh, is uh, old school best friend of Sarah's. Um, and he's a great dude. He is an actor, uh, writer. Um, he uh, just all around knows what he's talking about when it comes to movies. Um, and I'm looking up right now his last name, which... Uh, <laughs> that's why I was gonna let, pitching it to you because I didn't yeah, know his yeah. last name either. Yeah, I got I got it right here. So uh, Sarah's best friend, great guy. Uh, looking forward to having him on the podcast. His name is Ruben uh, Adorno. Ruben Adorno. Um, like I said, actor, writer. I think he's directed some. Um, he graduated uh, with from DePaul with Sarah. Mm. So it's going to be a great guy to have on the podcast. The movie is called. Uh, I sent it to you. It's mm-hmm. a movie that is out in theaters now. So we're going to do a, a movie uh, called The Triangle of Sadness, mm-hmm. which I don't know anything about. I have no knowledge of this film. So, uh, yes. We're so, gonna do- yeah, I got a little bit about this film. So I'm not going to tell anybody what it's about because I'm trying to keep myself in the dark. But uh, apparently, yeah, Triangle of Sadness, it's a international film. So it's a, you know, it's not an American made film, but it's international, but it is in English. Uh, so that uh, shouldn't deter anybody. Um, and it apparently got like an eight minute standing ovation at Cannes this past year. Um, and it won oh. the Palme d'Or. So it's apparently a pretty phenomenal film. Yeah. I like, I like when we do movie theater movies personally. Mm-hmm. I know they're not as accessible, but it, you know, I love to go to the movie theater. Yeah. So it's a good, a good excuse. Yes. And so uh, we understand that it might be tough for some of you all to find this movie. You know, I live in LA, Seth lives in Nashville. It's probably easier for us to find a theater that has this movie accessible to us. But we understand if some of you out there don't have that. Um, So we do apologize if you're not able to access this film. Um, Keep an eye out for it when it comes out on home video uh, or streaming. And then that way you can then come back to this episode in the future. Um, But we are going to be watching the triangle of sadness for next week. And we're going to have Ruben with us and uh, it'll be a great conversation. I'm sure I'm really excited. I'm actually going to see it right now. I'm going to be leaving straight oh, from wow. this conversation and going straight to the movie theater down the street to watch it. So cool. Yep. Cool. So we will see you guys all then Seth, go ahead and shout yourself out real quick. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Seth Adam Crow on Instagram or the birdie word on Twitter. That's all one word. T H E B I R D Y W O R D. Can also please could you also please follow me on Talent Exhibition Nashville on Instagram? That would be awesome. Uh, started getting that going, and then uh, my podcast is uh, the Crowcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's two words: the and then Crowcast C R O W E C A S T. Awesome. And I am Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me personally at Ricardo Blade Diaz on both Instagram and TikTok, and then you can find the What's It About Boom podcast. Uh, on social media, you can find us at at weapodwhat on Twitter, at what's it about podcast on Instagram, and at what's it about pod on TikTok uh, to follow us there. Please, because that's where you guys can get involved with the conversations. Tell us what movies you want us to do. Tell us what you think about the movies. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can catch new episodes of the What's It About podcast every Friday morning at 9 a.m. on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, or Anchor, which is our awesome distributing platform. So thank you so much, Anchor. Thank you all so much for listening today. We will see you next time. Bye. Adios.